I am Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of Racken and your host for the Cloud 23 podcast. Today's episode is about talent and staffing and hiring the right people to do the job for you. Except in doing that, we ended up talking about actually how you build and manage and fund your systems because how to hire people and make hiring decisions is inexorably linked to how you think about solving problems and how you fund those problems and how you want to structure your solutions around them. You cannot hire people without also having straightforward answers for those questions. So we have a fantastic conversation about hiring that is actually about building the foundations for your hiring. I know you will enjoy the conversation. A lot of companies now trying to get out of cloud and bring things home. Um, You're talking about even customers worse. or vendors? No, I'm, I'm talking about enterprises that want yeah. to get off cloud because it's way more expensive than they ever expected. Mm. So you're you're seeing it as a cost a cost driver? Oh yeah, huge! It's a huge cost driver because you can put. I mean, I know one company in particular that I can't name that has spent more than a million dollars moving from on-prem to cloud. Oh no! Okay. And now says this is just not worth it. Mm. Because their run cost on a monthly basis is almost two hundred and seventy thousand a month. That's huge. That's a lot of equipment that they could buy. Yeah. That's a lot of people they could hire. Yeah. So they want to create their own cloud environment and hire four full-time people to run it and still spend less on a monthly basis. I, I, I can stand by those types of savings and I, I can, we're, you know, that's our, you know, you know, us, our job is to literally sure. make it that, that scales better, but it's hard to find the people. I, the savings are there. Um, but the expertise is, is actually not as prevalent. Yeah. And it wasn't prevalent before cloud either. I mean, it's right. It's, no, uh, I don't know. And, I don't know that right now what we're looking at is basically uh, a few industries in particular that are kind of soaking up all of the expertise. Uh, I mean, the banking, finance, insurance groups are, you know, basically have a have a lock on probably 30 to 40 percent of the real skilled labor in this arena. It, the the schedule topic for today is labor and the cloud repatriation starting point is a really interesting way to think about, you know, yeah. is, I mean, is, is our bottleneck labor cost? Um, the bottleneck for re repatriation. I, I would for definitely, I think repatriation is a part of it. I guess I, I would flip it over as a labor question. 
is moving something to the cloud create the labor saving? Hey, let's take the finance out of it. Let's just assume there aren't enough. You don't have enough people on your staff. You need them to be more more effective. Well, you do yeah. have to take the finance part of it because it's the labor. It, the issue has very often been one of um, hmm. if you take a total cost of operation, you know, our people are companies that are making the case for repatriation. Are they truly taking a good look at total costs? And total cost includes all of the labor that you're, you know, off, you know, kind of, you know, setting setting aside and and don't have to, no longer have to pay over a long term by going to cloud. Right. And if accounting principles focus on kind of cost of goods and short term, then you can see why these numbers don't look good for cloud and that their their numbers are likely to be, um, you know, encourage them to, to re repatriate. The question I always have is, all right, are there distinct types of application, types of work where the boundary between um, something that really and truly deserves to be repatriated and that which doesn't, are there categories of work that make sense to remain in cloud and others that simply do not? But your point mm -hmm. about skills and taking away from the uh, uh, taking away the the issue of just quarter to quarter financials is a good one. And the, the issue there here has been, all right, if you are going to repatriate, uh, what do you do with respect to skills? And usually the industry's answer is you can't skill people quickly enough. So what you need is our automation tools. Uh, okay, but yes. I, okay, if I can chime in here for a sec, Please? I would look at it slightly differently. I would look at it like if it's costing me 275k a month to keep my stuff in cloud, I can hire entry level, up to intermediate, and train them myself for one month of cost. And I can institute IAC, for example, mm -hmm. as one way to help me get over my uh, gap with skills until I train up enough people or move them through the levels of training that they're going to need to have to keep them in-house. And to me, that does two things. One, you can get in the States for sure, you can get grants to do that training to offset the cost of the salaries. And two, you're then building expertise in-house, which increases the value of the entity. Uh, I like where you're, you're going with this. I, it's, I, I, I'll pause, Richard, if you were going to say something. I have a, a no. funny counterexample. 
that we hit. Um, cause I, I agree with you. I, I think if approach of, I was going to build, build, you know, I, I think companies can do it. I think owning assets is actually makes sense. I think to Rich's point, there are totally cases where a cloud, uh, you know, there there are a mix a mixed environment makes sense because there's some things that you could do more effectively in the cloud, but that then creates a more complex um, self managed environment with interconnects and things that you have to manage. Right. So it, it's it's tricky. The the funny thing that we see because we had we had a conversation I, I won't name any companies um, with a bank that is migrating from majority on premise to majority in cloud. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and Joanne, I, I think that, that, you know, in three years, I'm going to hear back from them that how expensive it was and it wasn't that simple, but they started, they started with a managed Kubernetes in the cloud. And then they've, you know, that became the center. You know, that's the gravity right. pulling all their, their IT infrastructure in that's the back. That's the backstory. We've, we're trying to help them because we have all this infrastructure as code management stuff. Great. Um, and they're struggling with Terraform and, and day two management and all, all that stuff, a few to, it's not well established. It's not established on premises or in cloud. Um, but the hurdle we hit is actually there. They have in some ways too much expertise. So in the middle of all this, they have, you know, a couple of cloud architects who want to write their own Terraform management at layer and interface and portal. Wow. And they're actually about to spend huge amounts of money in salary and time writing code that has no business value from that perspective. Ask, the what, want what's to. the justification for that? Um, it's the fits like a glove versus fits like a mitten type of thing. Um, which is it's it's in we see this all the time people typically for the stuff we do they have to write it two or three times like twice before they're like i give up it's not it's not helpful but that that's the sort of approach a lot of these even the repatriation stuff or the cloud migration stuff ends up being a whole bunch of custom operational code to make that stuff work um and and i see that as argument yeah I see that as you are creating future technical debt. Yeah. Because the one constant is that technology changes and changes even more rapidly now than it has at any time in the past. So by doing that, the mitten analogy is a great one to fit like a glove because the mitten says you're future proofing. And the glove right. says you're going to have to make one <laughs> finger bigger at a time. On the hand. This, this is bespoke. This is bespoke, um, you know, infrastructure. And and with your change in requirements, you're going to have subsequent change in all of your management. Yeah, there, there's there's an interesting hiring argument that we 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 hear on this though is that. From their perspective, and actually, I heard this at, at from other um, other accounts that that means that they that when they hire, they can go hire for Terraform expertise. They don't have to, and programming like generic tools. They don't have to 
then train, they, 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 they feel like they don't then have to train people on another platform. They can just goes, I'm back to, I'm now I'm different analogy, but they can buy, you know, if you have the individual skills, then, then you can contribute to their, their platform. And they've, they've reduced a skill barrier in this sense. That's, that's a very short sighted view. Because <laughs> if, I'm sorry, but if, if either one of those two cloud architects leaves, they're screwed. If both leave, they've had all of the comp- complex knowledge required to run their major cloud backend go, and leaving them in a vacuum. Plus, Terraform itself will, will morph and change over time. Yeah. And what it's being built with <laughs> versus what it will have in the future. I mean, I could make a very strong case for why, um, gee, I don't know, Rackin doesn't put a training arm into its business to say, here you go, folks. That way you're assured you're future-proof. Yeah. No, a, and, these, are things, these, are, these are definitely things that need to uh, progress in order. Right. But, but that's that, but this, I guess what I'm trying, what I'm, what I'm getting back to is this, this mentality, you know, building a workforce mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and Rich, you're right. It can't, you can't separate it from the costs. You can't separate it from the risk of, of, you know, well, that, yeah, what, and, what they're and that was the other part that we hadn't. You you just said the magic word, the risk. Risk. Um, hmm. It starts to make some of the orchestrator of orchestrator tools also um, grow in interest for a lot of these companies. At least on the short term, it's like. I've got a lot of um, fairly siloed piece parts, and I need to. I need IAC, but I can't get there quickly enough. So I'm going to start layering on um, mm-hmm. automation that basically choreographs and orchestrates my existing siloed silos of automation so that I can kind of keep track of stuff. And it's yeah it's patchwork, right. but it's it's probably going to be the the rule of the land. It's going to be the it's going to be a a very real aspect for the next four or five years. How do you hire I, for that? Go ahead, John. I, I sorry I I don't disagree with you, Rich, but I would add to that. If you start doing that, though, how do you deal with incoming transformation technology, transformative technologies like Web3 or Edge? Yeah, no, I'm not saying that it I I made the point and I I want to be careful to qualify it. It is nothing but a it's a band-aid. It's short term. Right. I'm not I'm not saying I'm not I'm not saying that it's the advisable way to do it. I'm just saying that is what I would expect a lot of the response to be to this situation. Well, uh, I, I basically I think what it also does is slows the adoption or the willingness to you know kind of jump into some of those areas unless you have uh, 
you know, deep pockets behind you. Yeah. Well, it's to me, it's what you're describing is organizational design for this, for the it's siloed, it's autonomous. You know, the companies companies have been structured, and and the way we sell into companies is matches it now mm-hmm. to incent team autonomy to make decisions. So you can say, yeah, this team has some Web three thing that they're investigating. They have the autonomy and budget to go do it. And, you know, we're not, we're not trying to pull, we're not trying to corral them into, you know, some type of governance system. Uh, I think we're seeing it with platform teams, you know, a bit, but I, I we had this conversation a couple of weeks ago. I think it's really hard for a platform team uh, to impose any, you know, impose any type of, of yeah, no, uh, that platform team is, is the, is the tail it ain't the dog right and so that 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 is already I, I, mm-hmm. it, it makes me nervous at, you know because i i see companies having and I, we watch this happen on the other side of it we're mm-hmm. you know we have we have capabilities for customers that they could just adopt but they have teams that are well entrenched that are like no Exactly. Over from us. We're like, but Rob, but, is there a is there any way that you would characterize not the necessarily by industry, but by the nature of the work that predominantly the nature of the work that needs to be done? For example, mm. um, are there distinct differences between enterprises that are so built on very low latency high you know high transaction volume types of issues um are there significant differences in the response from enterprises that are um that have a data sharing or data collaboration kind of um, charter in their, in their business. Any, any things that you could kind of point to? I, the thing, the thing that's interesting, I I like this question a lot because I'm, I'm thinking across the industry um, and what makes some of them more successful than others. Mm -hmm. Um, the and this is like it goes back to my industrial industrial engineering background too. Um, faster turn rates typically are the are the unit like the the more effective organizations are designed to have faster turn rates. I'm sorry, by turn rate you mean uh, they're how quickly they process um, uh, something end to end. So yeah. okay, if if they are good, right and and. To me, that's automation, but it's not. Mm-mm. What there's a there's a, a design in the organization, and it, it doesn't like it, like high frequency trading. That was what made me. I'm like, oh wait, high frequency trading and digital media, like rendering farms, um, you know, those types of service providers, those that are looking for, you know, uh, the 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 shortening and the duration of their work and keeping that very cyclical. Um, 
those are the ones that I see much less likely to accumulate the debt and much more likely to connect teams, like connect things together, like willing to make changes to get things connected. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a time to value argument. It's, it's like definitely, it is, but it, it's also a, um, yeah, it's time to value philosophy of I'm reducing it's, it, it goes back to gold rat. Um, to me, it's like, all right, I'm, I'm constantly looking for the bottlenecks, eliminating the bottlenecks in that chain. Those, those companies are really good at, um, at finding that. The thing I, I think that they have trouble seeing back to the first example is that the, if they build something to solve the problem, that that becomes the, that ultimately becomes the bottleneck. Yeah. Right. This, uh, now we're straight back to the SAP example, which is, you know, Oreo cookie stack of integrations on top of integrations. And it's, you know, you're afraid to touch the the center of the system because yeah, you're, I mean, it's, it's the, it's the quick fix and, you know, you're building a very, a very fragile, well, let's just say a, a, a very, a, not a very resilient total solution. Right. The The funny thing to me is that across the industries, the building blocks are incredibly similar. This was the other side of what you were asking that, that is also intriguing yeah. is there isn't a lot of difference in the infrastructure side between any of our customers. Like they, they are, we are, we are consistently using the same, building blocks and components and protocols and stuff like that. Um, but in does this different apply, ways, it, does this yeah. apply equally Rob to companies that are much more tied into a transactional community, uh, uh, logistics, hmm. um, um, freight forwarding, um, transportation of any kind, um, where the the question of, you know, kind of addressing a bottleneck um, comes from the fact that they're, they're interdependent. And so they have to be, you know, extremely resilient. I mean, we you can go take a look at what we just encountered and the bat and the the swing to the other side of it with supply chain types of issues that that we've dealt with over the course of the last couple of years. Are there distinct differences between companies whose businesses rely on a community of interaction, transaction, so forth, as opposed to kind of a uh, a factory approach where you know you've got uh, the various raw resources coming in one side and and the manufactured product coming out the other. Joanne might have more insight on this than I do. I actually don't see the philosophy having as much impact on the IT. I, I, really? It's an interesting question, but I, I, 
I need to go back I, and think <laughs> about it. Go ahead, Joan. I, I'm I'm not sure I 100% understand the direction of the question, because if I look at a breakdown of industries, I guess I could say that banking and finance is more transactional than supply chain or manufacturing, but in fact, it's not. Oh, I wouldn't say that. I would say, I, I would say they're both quite transactional and they're quite, both quite dependent upon the interaction with their trading their various constituents in the in the in the ecosystem and therefore they're not in as much control of and can't tighten uh quite the same way um that um an auto manufacturer which arguably is is quite dependent on its constituents and other folks in the in the um in their industry can tighten and lock down their production process their production um, their production is predominantly you know i'll call it internal it might be assembly but it's still internal and they can, mm-hmm. they can play off um those aspects that are fungible i can have multiple sources uh I can have alternative, uh, you know, warehouse storage and so forth. They're dependent upon the the um, the logistics industries themselves, but they are not a logistics player. For example. Okay. Okay. I mean, is, um, that, is that any clearer? Uh, it's still muddy waters in the B two B blues. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm glad you like that one. It's an old, old thing that I wrote for Gardner years ago that I'm sort of rekindling. Um, no pun intended. But I think I think part of part of the question is and and this is what's what's making me stumble rich is the lock-in side of that because even in assembly like if you think of a gm plant they're still very very dependent on information coming from outside it's no longer an internal thing and it has been for a long time we we haven't had completely vertical integration you know since you know ford did river rouge but i'm 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 trying to what the original question was if there are distinctions between enterprises that can fairly clearly see their path towards uh infrastructure as code right a mix you know a balanced you know a fairly balanced uh diet of uh cloud and on you know internal uh infrastructure are there characteristics of their businesses that distinguish those that are ripe for it now better capable of getting their arms around it and and adopting it than others are there are there business models are there interaction models that either favor or don't favor this move 
to repatriate? Are there mm -hmm. models okay, that so favor a hybrid or actually even favor cloud? Okay, I think that there are. I think service businesses in a large part would favor cloud. <clears throat> um, I see a migration between SaaS and cloud, and I differentiate the two, even though you may say that's totally ridiculous, but Not I do. All. Not at all. Um, like those kinds of businesses I see moving to cloud and staying there. Mm -hmm. What I disagree with in the cloud mentality overall is that the cost of, and I don't mean the physical cost, the cost of doing business from cloud resources versus the cost of doing business from on-prem resources or a hybrid environment of edge and on-prem is, is there. I think we're going to see a reversal of this migration to cloud very, very soon, not only because of cost, but because of security and also because the idea of decentralized mm. is becoming much more common. Mm -hmm. Yes, this makes more sense because I can be closer to my customer. So I see this, you know, sort of transitory time where there's going to be a lot of companies dropping off the big cloud service providers and either building a version of their own cloud, a private cloud, based on whatever tooling may come from an AWS or a GCP or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then those that are going to go back to, you know what, it's my data. I want it in my data center so I can right. do with it what I need to do. So let me ask you about mm. the, the, the impact or the, the embrace of the, <clears throat> the notion of a private cloud, my cloud. Um, that's a situation where, again, what's the, you know, it's basically, you know, I can look at it in a, in a kind of a, kind of the, the course of history that says, I blew up my glass houses with the big, uh, the big systems, the monolithic apps, tried to do a, and kind of explored the the notion of putting these systems on cloud. They, I had to re-architect a lot of them to make them work in cloud. And now I find that you know paying paying this kind of freight for cloud for um, infrastructure cloud infrastructure is just too high. I'm better served by taking that suite of applications, my IT, my ICT estate, and moving it back to a uh, privately managed infrastructure. But it's not that same old infrastructure that I had 20 years ago. It is a private cloud. It's changed significantly. Right. And the question there is, who wins in that? situation both in the hardware big systems and in the um you know in the management side of it that would be the question well, for me the who wins i would say on companies like rob's first of all 
would win on the management side on the control plane. And I'm not playing favorites here. I'm no, I, I, I think I think what you're describing is a man, this is the missing is a missing management story. I yeah. agree. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. That management story will influence who stays in the big cloud service providers and who starts to create their private cloud. And the reason for creating the private cloud, because I know we're at 1201, (laughs) is two things. Better control of the data faster and more securely. And two, I can now bring my top 10 customer and supplier into that cloud with me to create the efficiencies at scale that I need without the headache or the cost of being in the big cloud providers. Mm-hmm. That's the piece that's driving it. The second piece that's also driving it on the who wins, who loses is maybe those data center providers that will gear to an industry cloud. Yeah. That's, those guys will win. That's what I was I, I was wondering when that would show up in the conversation. Yeah. That absolutely the the data center yeah. providers that do that um will benefit long term and will also see a reduction in overcapacity underused spaces. Yeah. Right? You have too much demand from the big cloud providers. You have scarcity in data center resources. Yes, okay. Is every data center created equal? No, it's not. Do you need to invoke a standard for a private cloud? Yes. Probably. But those and those will be industry driven. They will not be standards. Well, what, what you're, but what you're describing community driven. Basically, it's saying here's a here's a trading here's a trading yes. community, and <laughs> they might not all be in the same industry, but they are. You know, they've created a you know a nice ecosystem amongst them. What, okay, what, so you're, that, what you're describing, and in, in, in some ways it comes back to the HR and the people side, though, mm-hmm. is there there is a lack of management standardization, a management practice that wills people to build IT infrastructure in a consistent enough way that yeah. that they right that that fun. I mean, that's like the problem with Amazon is they've done a great job building IT infrastructure for Amazon and then providing an API that people can use. But that you could actually go, and this is, I mean, this is what Rackin is trying to do. You're entirely right. Is we're like, look, you can buy the servers and run it in a standard way. And you could actually have a, a, a data center provider that would just do the hardware pieces and, and give you remote hands and standardize that stuff enough that you're like, oh, okay, I don't need a team of people to do this work or secure it or patch it, right? It's all that stuff has to be baked into standardizations. And we just haven't built good management tooling around any of this stuff. Well, the management tooling and and is it strictly the management tooling, Rob, or do we have, you know, OpenStack, you know, ver, you know, revisited? Do we have a? Do we have those? It, it doesn't have to be open. That, that's the thing to me that OpenStack just missed. Yeah. Um, in in multiple dimensions, but OpenStack never tried to help people standardize how they run their infrastructure. Exactly. And so they 
yay, the, you know, everybody's going to use the same software, but OpenStack as a community really missed. It's that, the, an, it's the Android, Android of cloud stacks. <laughs> yeah. Of, uh, I mean, it, it, it never took the burden off of, of the, of the people running the systems to, right. that's right. But, but to that end, you know, mm -hmm. in, in my little prognostication there, um, I would also say that the issue will come back to corporate objectives at a corporate strategy level around things like ESG and the consumption of resources that will directly impact labor. And this is, you know, part of the DOD study that I was involved in last year was around how you deal with the workforce yeah. That's not only aging, but also those coming in who don't want to take the same path as we have, let's say, in IT, um, where we've come up through the ranks and, you know, been corporate for a long time and then go out on our own and do different things. The issue is, can you provide a training platform that brings these people into a profession that's very high paying, that doesn't require necessarily the four-year degree of programming or comp sci as they currently exist and have them be the hands in remote locations that do do that management control, right? Those specialized mm -hmm. capabilities are what, um, and it's under the DOD auspices, but it's all of those innovation centers like Rensselaer and Georgia Tech and yeah. whatever, whatever, big universities in the U.S. that are part of that program want to do and don't know how to do. Right. But and this they is won't, where they won't be able to do it until they address the issue that Rob's raised, which is kind of a, that both of you have raised, which is the. Yes. The norm. And what standardization is not quite the right term, but it's it's. It's kind of a, a uniformity uh, in the way in which it's addressed. I also yes. wonder, and this will this will be a topic maybe sometime <laughs> in the next year. Put it on the list. Um, which is what does this say about those intermediaries during this period that kind of used to be filled by the the managed service provider? There's a there's a there's a kind of an intermediate step there for those that want to um, run their own infrastructure or a lot of their own infrastructure or dedicated infrastructure may not even be their own. Right. Uh, and does that change the nature of MSPs and data centers generally? But yeah, it's. Uh, I think so. I think it has to. I I'm just putting it on. I'm putting it on the list for October 20th. So it's the changing nature of MSPs. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's so much the changing nature of them, but the demand yeah. for. Yeah. What, the demand. What, what for, is the value? What's the new value proposition for MSPs? Yes, that would be a very good one. The other is what's the new demand for SaaS providers? Yeah. Yeah. And here's the interesting thing. You know, I'm watching Dreamforce and a lot of what's going on with mm. uh, the Salesforce back end. I have been saying for years and years and years, you have huge customer base using 
software like Salesforce, they are cloud native. Why aren't you making the rest of the cloud services, aside from your focus area, available to those customers? And that's where the value proposition of the MSP is going to change. Mm -hmm. We have, there's a couple of MSPs I'm watching set up shop where they, they have cross-connected infrastructure and that that's, yeah. that's their proposition. Yeah. Um, factions. Yeah, like, have, mm -hmm. like, Who are you thinking of specific? Faction, faction IO is the. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, here, here's one of the interesting things. Yesterday, Sarbjeet put put out a, a, a thing from Dreamforce um, replica, which was the amount of jewels used, consumed by like Bitcoin and Google and, you know, Solana and whatever. And it was a Solana slide. And mm. I call bullshit twice over, not only because it's extremely hard to measure, but there's no de facto standard of what a rig has to have or the maximum it should have. There's a recommendation that each server or each unit that's used to validate a transaction must have specific capabilities, but there's no equanimity across the board. So how can you possibly are you gauge equanimity how many tools are, are being you mean, used? Do you mean equivalency? Equanimity? I'm not sure I understand what that what you mean by that. Um, it must have a 12 core CPU, but no requirement for GPU yet. It's dependent on GPU, ah, right? Okay. So you can use so, an integrated graphic. So how are you saying, possibly, yeah. Gonna, yeah. How are you possibly going to measure the power consumption of every single validator in Ethereum versus on Solana and say, well, we're using less. Well, okay, yeah. Yeah, but none is. of your validators are actually using exactly the same equipment, unless, of course, they're all Edgevana servers. And even then, you have choices. Yeah. Like, like stuff like that is starting to come to the forefront of my thinking, because as the MSP model changes and the cloud models change, I would, as a CIO, a former CIO of a major, go... WTF guys, I'd rather build it myself, bring my 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 closest suppliers and partners in and let us transact as we need to transact. Who needs the big GSP? Yeah. And so basically you're you're talking about permissioned clouds. Private cloud. Well, I'm I'm gonna say which private. are the same. Yeah. They're the same. Okay. Thanks for it. We, we are we are way over. This is this will be yeah. an interesting topic to come back to, and it, it's been fascinating to me to see how our our discussion about hiring um, could not be uncoupled from the pricing and the actual infrastructure options. So, well, labor, human labor, and skill is still a an enormous factor here, and and the determination of which strategy you use I mean, there's just no there's no way around that and that's the key but answer why why aren't we going to apprenticeships oh that is where we should be talking that is worth the conversation uh, conversation yeah the whole yeah. Approach to apprenticeships and how does one get you know 
acknowledge training in these. I'll let it. I'll let it. In, I, I put the I put the hiring because this was actually different than what we'd originally thought about talking about for hiring. I'll put apprenticeships on the list. Yeah, please do. Well, let's call it the topic for the new year. And to that, I will say Shana Tova. Shana Tova. And go bake something. <laughs> I've been doing it for a week and there's only three of us, but the vegan side is throwing me for a loop this year. That's funny. Shanatova. I'll talk to you all soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Wow, what an insightful conversation about how to get ready to hire the right people and the risks that you face in choosing uh, your organization design in a way that could actually make it harder to accomplish your goals or increase technical debt because you have people working in the working for their own objectives uh, rather than the company's or not being able to repatriate because you don't have the administrative skills. So many things to think about in this conversation. We're going to go back to um, some of the more basic things like recruiting and uh, coaching and what type of skills to develop for new hires uh, in a future episode. And I would love for you to come join us at that episode. You can find out our schedule and our topics at the 2030.cloud. Looking forward to seeing you there. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly. Or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.